Welcome to the She's Up Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Coach Kimberly International, featuring conversations and actionable insights that equip women in STEM to lead in today's BUCA world. Welcome to the She's Up Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kimberly Jackson. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with the lead author of the award-winning book, Leadership Agility, Dr. Bill Joyner. Bill focuses on the new mindsets and skill sets that leaders need for today's complex, rapidly changing business environment. Bill is a highly sought-after international thought leader, trusted advisor, executive coach, and organizational change consultant, with over 30 years of experience completing successful engagements with companies based in North America, Europe, and Asia. He partners with senior leaders, helping them navigate pivotal business conversations, develop high-performing teams, and transform their organizations. In addition, Bill designs and leads workshops and action learning programs on leadership agility and is co-developer with Cambria Consulting of the Leadership Agility 360, the only feedback instrument that assesses research-based levels of leadership agility. Bill, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Kimberly. It's really nice to be with you today. It is such a treat to get to spend time with you. Um, I would love for our listeners to know a little bit about our connections. So we met almost a decade ago. Like oh my. Time has really gone by. <laughs> I was looking yes. at some of my, my binders from your programs. But um, I have had the pleasure of sitting at Bill's feet and learning from him all about leadership agility and stage development and how that is applicable to business, not just from like the philosophical um, psychology side that we kind of lean into for stage development. So, and we're definitely going to unpack this more and talk about it, but I want to invite our guests to be able to take a seat and enjoy our virtual fireside chat. And I just know they're going to get lots of insights from your research and your application of leadership agility. So again, welcome, Bill, and I'll let you take it away and share your story. Well, thank you, Kimberly. Um, It's always a pleasure to hang out with you. Yeah, the story I wanted to focus on today is about a woman who was head of engineering for a fast-growing a software company. So uh, this this is actually a situation where I was coaching this woman's, I'll call her Alexa, was coaching Alexa's boss. And my wife and business partner, who's also a professionally trained coach, was working with Alexa. And uh, we would have Debbie Whitestone is my, my my wife and my business partner, and she and I would have periodic conversations about Alexa and the coaching and and uh, 
as we did just yesterday as we were kind of going over the story. Um, so that's the perspective from which I know uh, about Alexis' development. And um, so she she was, um, you know, as, as is often the case in software companies, she was the, really the only woman in her company who was at her level. Her, her boss was the CTO and, um, you know, she was a director. And, um, you know, from the perspective of, being a woman in a software company, she was in a fairly lonely position. And that's that's really why when we have a situation like that, Debbie will often coach the person, the woman in the uh, situation. Um, and um, that works out very well because they can, you know, relate from personal experience, things that, that I couldn't necessarily relate from a literal personal experience. So so let me tell you a little bit about the situation she was in. Uh, the company was growing very fast. She loved working, and, and she was in charge of a, a major product development unit, and she loved the work. She loved to get into the details of the work, and she was a, uh, a great problem solver. But as the company grew, her boss really wanted her to shift her leadership approach. We'll talk in a few minutes about the different stages or levels of leadership agility. But she was essentially what he was asking her to do was to move from one level of agility to another, which involves both behavioral changes and um, internal changes in terms of developing her emotional capacities, her cognitive capacities. So where this went was she wound up doing uh, one of our leadership agility 360s with Debbie. And out of that process, um, that leads to a very uh, specific action plan where the leader is gets really clear about what's the new behavior I want to practice. And what are the uh, what shift in my own mindset is going to help me? It's going to support me in that change. So she had like three key areas that she worked on. Uh, one was that she had been uh, well at this point she was really micromanaging her people too much. She needed to shift into an approach that was more empowering of her people, where she was developing her people. And from the perspective of her boss, her current approach, which was really too often to do, to do some of that work herself, to get overly involved in the details, was really holding her back from realizing her potential uh, in the situation and from what the, the company needed. The second area was when she got feedback that she wasn't doing great on something, including from her, her, her boss, she had a tendency to get pretty defensive, right? And she would explain, explain, and say, point to this person and that person, and this is why it happened, and not me, it's them, and, and that sort of thing, uh, which was not serving her, her development as a leader. And the other thing that she picked up from the 360 was, that 
she had a tendency to kind of over-explain herself. She was, by nature, an extroverted thinker. So she did need to think out loud with people as she talked, but she tended to sort of dovetail with her, her tendency to be defensive, to over-explain things, to go on and on about things. And her listener would then sort of check out and she would not be that aware that that was happening. So those are the, the key areas that she that she worked on. And as she as she I should say that I, I guess I mentioned that in the 360, the action plan phase, which is at the end, because it that process unearths the the assumptions, the mindsets that lie behind the behavior, that created an opening. Uh, for Debbie to talk with her about how she felt how she felt she was treated as a woman in this organization, and that was part of what was going on. In other words, she she felt I think as many women would in that kind of situation, even though the the CEO was fairly enlightened and her boss was fairly enlightened. You know, she had a sort of an accumulation of feeling not heard, not respected. And sort of like she was always having to prove herself. And, you know, as, as is often the case, that was a combination of external factors and internal factors that all kind of went together to create this feeling that I don't think she was all that aware of. You know, she was so focused on her work that this sort of background feeling of not being heard was came clearer, more clearly to consciousness. And Debbie, as a woman, could, you know, they could relate to each other about experiences they had like that. So I'll sort of fast forward to, to more or less the end of the story. Debbie worked with her for some time. There, there, was, there were some changes that took place immediately, some that took, took some time. But she shifted into an approach where she was actively developing her people, where she was much less defensive. In fact, much, I would just say not defensive, but more engaged when she got feedback that wasn't, you know, that she, that she could do something better. She was more curious, less defensive. And she developed some strategies for communicating her ideas that allowed her to do so in a more concise way that was more connected to the people that were listening to her because we can talk about this in a minute, she really shifted from one level of agility to another. We can talk about what that, what that looks like in general. But the, uh, the, the end result was that she, was, she really uh, was able to incorporate and sustain these changes. So it was really became a part of her. And her boss was really thrilled. He went from being pretty concerned about her performance to feeling like she was one of the best people that that was working with with him and he promoted her to to vice president so that's a little you know story of what happened in one situation that is so rich and so much we could talk yeah. about yeah um but kudos for the transformation yeah. right for her 
the and I know you're going to unpack a little bit about the levels of agility and and, mm-hmm. and unpack that a little bit more. But something I would love to point out is how you and Debbie are what I would consider somewhat co-coaching, mm-hmm. and which I think is very powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a lot of people have conversations about confidentiality and holding the space for people, but having more insight and levels of awareness, and then looking at your coachee and, you know, their current state, their desired state, you know, the gap you're trying to close, Mm -hmm. that level of agility you're trying to bring them to, basically handling that almost as like a learning case, you know, Mm -hmm. to where you know, as much as I'd like to think I know so much, uh, I don't, right? My expression is me in a bag of chips might get you around the block. But really having that powerful partner and peer Mm -hmm. to to discuss something with and to be able to support each other. Mm -hmm. And I also want to say kudos to you for recognizing that because there are internal factors, there's practical, relevant relating that from a male to a female can't exist sometimes, right? Not always, but mm-hmm. but sometimes. And so her having a female lead coach, but yet oh. Debbie getting the insights um, and to be able to discuss, you know, basically her development case. Yeah. So it's not really talking about a person. It's really being so client centered that it's their development case and, you know, bringing more expertise to the, you know, to that case. Um, Her going from director to VP and being so valued is just such a huge win. But I wanted to point that out because I do know we have a fair number of coaches who listen in. And Mm -hmm. that's really powerful. I know I got exposed to how impactful learning cases can be when I went through a lot of your training Mm -hmm. and the way we unpacked cases and really looked at things. Mm -hmm. It was actually more powerful than my clinical background. Well, well. (laughs) even though I had to go through supervision and I understand it and Mm -hmm. the coaching arena now has supervision as well. You know, mm-hmm. somewhat similar to the clinical world, but but I just wanted to point that out because I feel like that was really powerful. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Uh, you know, of course, for that to work, we have uh, Debbie and I have to be very disciplined. In other words, I will tell her things about my coaching conversations with her boss, with this, with Alexa's boss. Debbie will tell me about her conversations with Alexa. And so we have gives gives both of us additional context, mm-hmm. and at the same time we have to act as if we don't know that, right? To to not to not bring bring into the conversation anything that was told to us in confidence. So um, it does require some some discipline, but it's it's uh, as you point out, there's a real upside to this approach. Because, you know, Debbie and I learn from each other and we learn from the situation. And uh, 
you know, I was, her boss was farther along in the coaching process than she. And mm -hmm. so he had already moved to, started to move to yet another level of agility that we'll talk about. And so he, and he had done enough, uh, received enough coaching that he was able to do some coaching with her from the perspective of her boss, which is a unique, as we know, <laughs> That's a unique and powerful place from which to coach, um, as is an external coach, a unique and powerful way to coach. So, you know, he and I were essentially teaming up, or, or Debbie and I and, and he <laughs> were sort of teaming up to um, to make that whole system, if, if, if you think of it that way, the system between him and her and mm -hmm. the larger context they were operating in uh, to make that work better. And, um, you know, so part of, part of, uh, Alexa's transformation was that her boss had, was changing. Uh, but mainly it was that she took on the work and took responsibility to make some changes in, in her own approach. And again, everything was in service to the client. Like, yeah. so everything was in service to Alexa mm -hmm. and, um, I was just um, listening to David Goldsmith yesterday, mm -hmm. and he was talking about um, different things, trends in the coaching world, et cetera. But he asked a really powerful question, and he basically encouraged every coach that was listening to ask themselves, are you coach-centered or client-centered? Mm-hmm. And I feel like what you just shared is a great example of your client center. Mm. So thank you very much. So now kind of putting some structure around that transformation. Yeah. Um, let's enlighten those who do not know yet. Um, but once you do, you'll be hooked um, mm. on the framework of leadership utility. Mm -hmm. Well, one, one of the central aspects of this framework that as you mentioned, came out of quite a bit of research are what I call the levels of leadership agility. These are stages that leaders can grow through and becoming more agile. And what we mean by agility is, is uh, some of you may be familiar with the agile software movement that's now spreading out into all functions. Our conception of leadership agility is a broader one than, than what you might find in that world but it fits very well. So we have lots of uh, agile coaches that come to our, our programs. So anyway, the levels of leadership agility, uh, we call them expert, achiever, and catalyst. And uh, by f the, the greatest percentage of leaders are working at the expert level. And what that means is that they are uh, rather identified with their own expertise. So if you challenge their expertise, uh, there's a fair chance they're gonna get defensive because it feels like to them, like you're challenging them as a person. So this is part of what Alexa was dealing with because she was operating more at the expert level than at the other levels. It also affects how you lead your team. So an expert is more likely to, uh, is more prone to micromanaging works more like a supervisor of individual direct reports than someone who's really developing a team that can think and work together. 
and and leading change in the organization, expert leaders are more likely to be tactical in their approach, to focus on changes that are within their span of authority, uh, because there's kind of an assumption that leadership is really about uh, authority and expertise. If you have those, you can lead, and people should follow you. If you don't, for example, if you need to work with somebody cross-functionally, that's a more, more of a challenge for somebody who's working at the expert level. So that's a quick, there's more to it, but that's that's a quick uh, take on the expert. And then the achiever level, uh, there's a greater reflective capacity. There's relatively more openness to feedback. There's a tendency to, uh, the, the approach in leading a team would be to really help them learn to think together, to problem solve together as a team so that for those issues that affect everyone in your unit, you are engaging the whole team in, in problem solving and um, uh, really taking advantage of their, their knowledge and expertise. Um, and in leading change, it's more st strategic, focused on the ultimate outcome you're going for with greater flexibility about how you're going to get there. So that really represented where uh, Alexa needed to go in this framework. She was working on these specific items that I mentioned. So mm -hmm. the 360 does not, it's not really about, well, what level are you at? Therefore, what do you need to do? It's really focuses on, a, on very specific practices. Uh, but those practices are embedded in this framework. So uh, anyway, she was working on making a shift between the two levels I just described. Her boss was working more on a shift from uh, achiever to catalyst. That's and that cool. meant that he would be uh, able to not only, not only reflect on his own leadership as an achiever could do, but could also pick up things that were happening more or less in the moment. Assumptions he was making, feelings he was having that he wasn't all that aware of before. And um, the team leadership becomes much more, you're engaging your team in talking about challenging issues, but you're facilitating that conversation in a way that really is itself developing the people in, in on your team mm -hmm. and is helping them be more collaborative, more empowered, because your aim is to create a culture that's characterized by empowerment and collaboration. And um, because you realize that although we can't really predict the future very well anymore, that we can anticipate the future by creating an organization that can deal with any challenge that might come up. That's sort of the orientation of the of the catalyst, who, who also makes sure that all the achiever strategic objectives are met and so on and so forth. So, so her boss really had quite a, and, and we, we find that really only about 10% of leaders are, are leading from the, from the catalyst level. It's like 55% expert, 35% achiever and 10% catalyst. Um, so that's that's what brought him to, and that's 
that's why he was so interested in in Alexis development mm-hmm. and why he wasn't just going to say, well, she's this way or that way. Maybe she's not a fit anymore, you know, because what we're doing now requires a different kind of leadership. He really believed in the, the possibility of development and that he had, he knew he had a role in that. And he knew that an external coach could help with that as well. So uh, that's a quick tour of the three levels of agility. Yeah, I, I know it. There's so much, it's so rich, but just the snippets you gave are so powerful. And and it raised a question mark in my mind. And so now I'm I'm curious about, well, there's two things. One, so I know for us at CKI, we're not interested in the coach them up and out that happens. Mm-hmm. And you describing how Alexa's boss is interested in her development and believes people can grow and, and shift and, mm-hmm. and be agile. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just love hearing that because mm-hmm. that's the, that's the type of work, you know, the coaches are built for, right? Mm-hmm. We really want to help expand and grow and, and move someone forward. But the other thing that came up was around uh, certain levels of self-awareness. So right now I know Empathy and empathetic leaders is top of mind. And so now I'm curious about the strong connection between work that people do with emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. and developing into the next level of leadership. Mm -hmm. I feel that they're so well integrated that doing the work is also going to advance ei you know as part of it yeah can you comment on that yeah i think um well the self-awareness so so there are in in the leadership agility framework there are four types of agility there's context setting there is stakeholder agility, which you were alluding to, creative agility, and then self-leadership agility. Self-leadership agility has more to do with, that's where the self-awareness comes in. It's about being proactive about your own development. So not only going to a a training or, or having a coach, but what do you do with what you learn in those settings on a day-to-day basis? Right. And can I leverage my experience as a leader, as a uh, primary source of learning for me to get better as a leader? Right. So that's that's one type of agility. Stakeholder agility, as you say, is um, increasingly important as everything in our world becomes more and more interconnected, um, both with entities outside our organization, but also inside. There's such a greater need for collaboration, cross-functional teamwork, and all of that. And, and um, so that, that was an area where she was challenged. I mean, so she was dealing with this sort of dual issues of being a woman in a tech company mm-hmm. and being an expert growing into an achiever. And, uh, you know, she had all the issues about letting go of 
the details that anyone would have in moving from expert to achiever. But the, uh, you know, a couple of the items that she was working on, let, being less defensive and the way she communicated to others was real, was a, you know, connected with her stakeholder agility and, uh, and uh, sort of rethinking who her stakeholders were, who, you know, after being so focused on her team and her boss to get more interested and capable in dealing with her peers. Yeah. And that's that wider lens, right? Mm -hmm. Being able to pull back and see that wider landscape Mm -hmm. of things. And that there was, those are just powerful examples of that's emotional intelligence too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Being able to have that self-awareness, to be able to regulate, have empathy. Yeah. So those two types of agility are more sort of lean more toward this, the emotional intelligence and then these context setting and the creative agility lean a little bit more toward the cognitive. So you're really developing in addition to a new set of behaviors, like relating to your team in a different way. You're also developing some internal capacities that are both emotional and cognitive. Yeah, um, as someone who used to do a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, Mm. um, like I I had a research project where I worked with like 400 married couples and it was part of my clinical and stuff. Mm -hmm. And using your framework over the years, I have seen people either be more open to having therapy when they needed it. Or people being um, unlocked as if they were on a therapist couch, right? Mm. And I feel like coaches are so powerful and able to help with some of that unlocking by helping that client open up. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love how you just referenced the four between emotional and cognitive. So one other thing I'd love to hear a little bit about because... So uh, my friend John Maxwell will say often, leaders see around corners. And I've always been inspired by your story. And I sometimes feel like, you know, the public is kind of robbed of it in a way because you just do it naturally. Um, But I really would like to take a few minutes to share how you were looking around corners. You became curious. You decided to investigate, research, said, you know, there's really something to all of this. And to go further and build out a framework or a model and to have tools. You know, the Agile Manifesto in 2001 was a defining moment in business. I feel that leadership agility is also a defining moment in business. Everyone is talking about agility now, especially post a worldwide, you know, virus, the pandemic. But I would love for people to hear a little bit about your inspiration because there's people out there who are curious about things that may not even pause to go investigate or they investigate and it's interesting discussions among, you know, an intellectual group, but they don't necessarily formulate it or take action on it. So. Mm-hmm. Share a little bit about that journey for you, please. Okay, sure. Uh, thank you for asking. Well, I got interested in this subject when I was in college uh, and still trying to figure out what I wanted to do professionally. 
during that time, I, I worked with a therapist for several years. I discovered the, uh, what was then called the human potential movement. Um, and got very interested in what is, what is, what is human growth? What is, what is that? <laughs> and where yeah. does, where does it take you? And, uh, how do you get there? And, uh, so when I was, uh, when I, I guess when I was a senior in college, I was exposed to this stage development research, which was at that time was hardly anybody knew anything about. This is the sort of what's now called vertical development approach. So, you know, I was curious about how it related to my journey and how it related to others' journey. It was, it was a different way. It was sort of a different language and uh, more academic than what I had experienced in my own personal growth at that point. And um, so anyway, uh, it, it, it took a while to digest and to relate to figure out, oh, okay, now I understand how that relates to my experience. Now, I'm, you know, uh, not everybody has the same personality type. And mine is one that is inclined to investigate ideas and what they can give us, how they can help us to understand what's going on around us and, and, and have more productive and, and, uh, satisfying lives. Uh, but, uh, that is, that is, you know, once, once I, the combination of having had the personal experience of change and then discovering some ways to think about it and then discovering the field of organization development, um, all at the same time, you know, a lot of things began to kind of come together, at least in terms of my interests. And, um, so I wrote a paper back, back then, uh, trying to kind of pull together what I had learned, I was thinking at that point. And then when I went to uh, the doctoral program at Harvard, my plan was to to flesh this out more. And uh, what happened instead, I mean, I, I did continue to follow along, you know, some people who were writing about vertical development, but I had to learn how to be an organization development consultant not just think about stages of development. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that was a pretty big task. And I do have a very strong practical streak. I think that's where you find the, my sort of insistence on connecting stage development with uh, leadership in organizations and business. How does that all play out in that context? So it was, it was quite a number of years before uh, I finally decided that I needed to do something with this interest in stage development and write this book and um, came across a guy, Steve Josephs, who, who became my co-author, who had just gotten interested in the subject. So it was really a matter of taking something that had been a strong interest in the past that I had sort of was sitting there on the back burner for a long time. And then sort of seeing an opening, seeing a possibility of actually doing this thing that had interested me for many years. So that's, that's my journey. Well, the world is certainly blessed that you decided to take action 
on your ideas. And I think one of the reasons why I really like the framework is that business application to it. Mm-hmm. So you being an OD consultant, you know, really shines through and, and you know, that mm-hmm. well, that's what I did at Duke was organizational behavior and organizational development. And um, I, it just really, really resonated with me. So, so thank you so much. <laughs> I, you know, um, definitely legacy impacting. So I have two things I usually close out a show with. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first is really looking at listeners who might be looking for mentors or a coach, but they feel like they need someone to partner and journey with them. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about what advice you might share for someone looking for that resource. And if you have anything in particular about allyship with male colleagues for our women in STEM. Mm. And Alexa was like a great example. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And she worked with a coach. But do you have any other advice you'd like to give? Well, I think you summarized it pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think if if you can get a coach that you really connect with, that you feel like you can provide you both with a safe space and with insights that really are really relevant to you on a day-to-day basis, I think that's probably the most powerful allyship to have. I think being able to talk with other women who are Uh, experiencing similar things. I know that was really a key part of the coaching that Debbie did with Alexa, you know, just the fact that she could relate from personal experience. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. I know what that's like, you know, and I can, I could say, well, I understand and I I would understand, but it's different than having been there and, you know, being on the receiving end yourself. Absolutely. yeah, so I think that's important. And and then, um, yeah, finding those male colleagues who uh, are capable of respecting your you as a person and as a professional and uh, who you can have some degree of open conversation with, you know, that's, that's all good. So. But I appreciate that um, because this fall, actually more like late summer, early fall, we're launching the She's Up community Mm -hmm. where we're going to have a place where women can come and talk and share Mm -hmm. and grow. So I I appreciate like your endorsement. Well, that would be a good way to do that part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Get together. Yeah. Um, So in closing, I'm always curious about what are you currently reading? Oh. And I'm sure you have more than one book you're currently reading. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, the, the book that I'm currently reading is called The Wakeful Body. And this is written by a uh, American meditation teacher um, whose uh, approach, having, you know, as she's learned it, is, is to... is using your body as a way to your awareness of your body as a way to enter the present moment. Mm. 
Oh, that's powerful. And that there's a lot, there's a lot to explore there. <laughs> Speaking mm-hmm. of things can, can be explored. So it's, it's fascinating. She's really has a great way of combining some powerful ideas with little stories about her own experience and making things that, you know, that I've read about in other contexts that are more presented in a more conceptual way. This makes it more uh, easily relatable to your personal experience, I would say. So if anyone is interested in that sort of thing, uh, it's yeah. a great book. <laughs> well, we'll definitely put a link to the book in the show notes. But what jumped out for me is going from just always talking about executive present, uh, executive presence, or being mm-hmm. being present in the moment and like fully engaged. This sounds like the book sounds like a great approach to. If you're aware of how you're showing up and what's going on in your body, it would help you develop that ability to be present and for people to feel like you're with them and you're connected to them. That would actually support people who are on the empathetic leadership development track. Oh, it for sure. Like, yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, we'll definitely put a link to that. Well, I, I should say that really the central dynamic or the central practice of leadership agility is, is a, involves expanded awareness and shifting your intentionality, your, what you're trying to accomplish uh, into a broader context. So, and the, the catalyst level with the third level that I've been talking, that I mentioned earlier is one that is sort of a, transition toward the kind of awareness that this book talks about so but basically it's that if if you are it's one thing to be able to look back at a meeting and reflect on it and realize things you could have done differently and and form an intention to do some things differently in the future and if you develop that ability you don't ever lose that but you can also go beyond it to develop an ability to be aware of what's happening in the meeting as it happens, which gives you a more, uh, enables a more agile approach to to adjusting your behavior to what is really needed. So I'm glad you mentioned that because that's really the practicing that reflective action ability is central to all four types of agility and uh, is maybe the most valuable takeaway from of what you've heard from our conversation. Well, I hate to end. <laughs> However, um, yeah. I do want to thank you so much for sharing your insights and generously giving of your time to pour into women in leadership in STEM fields. So again, thank you so much. Well, thank you for reaching out, Kimberly. It's been a, a real pleasure as usual to talk with you. That's it for this episode of the She's Up Leadership Podcast. As always, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. You can subscribe to She's Up on Apple, Google, Spotify, Audible, Alexa, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm your host and executive producer, Dr. Kimberly Jackson, founder and principal of Coach Kimberly International. 
Special thanks to our marketing manager, Sandy Lomas, and to audio engineer, Joseph Keenan, with Short Stack Studios in New York. We invite you to join us in our commitment to advancing women in leadership in STEM fields. To learn more about the She's Up movement, visit us at coachkimberly.com.